0: You're listening to The Briefing, first broadcast on the 18th of November 2022 on Monocle 24. And welcome to The Briefing, broadcasting to you live from Studio One here at Midori House in London. I'm Georgina Godwin. Coming up on today's programme, the Russian air bombardment of Ukraine has left millions without water or electricity. We'll get the latest from Kiev. Then... For an American president to be silent on an issue of human rights is inconsistent with
1: who we are and who I am. I'll always stand up for our values.
0: And yet, Mohammed bin Salman is now deemed immune from prosecution. So how has Saudi Arabia gone from pariah state to an important US partner? We'll unpick how and why MBS has been invited back into the fold. Plus...
2: We have learned that any guarantee of free speech guarantees you only that. It does not guarantee that anybody is going to listen to you, especially when you burble on and on and on and on to the extent that security blocks the exits to stop people from leaving.
0: Andrew Muller looks back over the events of the last seven days and we visit Slush in Helsinki, one of the biggest startup events in the world. All that right here on The Briefing with me, Georgina Godwin. We begin the programme in Ukraine, where 10 million people are without electricity after repeated Russian air attacks disrupted the country's energy infrastructure. Well, I'm joined by Rada Roslitsky, who's founder of Black Trident, a defence and security consulting group in Ukraine. Uh, Lada, many thanks for being with us. I know it's been tricky to connect with, with the internet situation there. Can you tell us more about these latest attacks by Russia?
3: Well, these latest attacks are actually worse than the ones that we experienced in October, where uh, this time we have about 100 rockets that had been sent all over Ukraine, destroying critical infrastructure. Of those, um, only 30 rockets actually made it. So 70 were uh, destroyed by Ukraine's air defense systems. But uh, <laughs> they we're still left under incredible pressure, not having electricity, not having. Uh, Water in many areas at home, no drinking water, uh, no potable water, Uh, mobile networks really falter. And for instance, yesterday I had no mobile connection for over three hours and I'm in the centre of the city of Kiev.
0: And how quickly can Ukraine fix what's been destroyed?
3: Well, that's really the question of how, what can they fix, what type of materials are needed in order to fix them because a lot of the, uh, the critical infrastructure that has been destroyed needs to be repaired by uh, products that may no longer be available to the authorities. And this is where we see, again, uh, Ukraine reaching out to its allies, asking for help even in the restoration of critical infrastructure, including uh, electricity. Gas pipelines uh, is also something that we're really worried about. And, of course, we have that huge, massive uh, issue with now not one, but three nuclear power plants that the Russians are um, attacking, and all three of them in the last couple of weeks have been without power. So we had the Zaporizhia uh, atomic well, nuclear plant, which is the largest in Europe. And now uh, the Khmelnytsk nuclear plant has been uh, without power in Rivne as well. So while the Ukrainians are under constant attack, uh, we keep calling for the closing of Ukraine's skies. in in a small minimum, at least over the nuclear and chemical plants that, that Ukraine has.
0: I mean, what does it mean for those power plants, for those nuclear power plants? if they don't have electricity. It makes them very unstable.
3: Yes, it makes them unstable, and what it really, uh, what the instability is is about is uh, the cooling. So the nuclear plants really need to have uh, steady uh, electrical supply. They do have some diesel backup, but most of that diesel backup capacity is very old and had not been tested for such conditions. So it's very touch and go, and we're looking forward to uh, the International Atomic Energy Agency to step up to the plate and really put more pressure on uh, peace-loving countries to support the protection of the uh, environment and global security situation by closing the skies, at least over uh, those critical infrastructure areas. Uh,
0: And in terms of the impact on on human life there, how can Ukrainians cope if electricity cuts continue in the winter as, as the temperature drops?
3: Well, it's a question of a determination to win and uh, get the Russians out of the territory. It is cold, and it's very difficult to live without water. And if you combine living without water, electricity, or heating, uh, it's a a dire situation. So we're going to see more Ukrainians probably leaving for the uh, for the winter period, we see the mayor of a Western country not too, clo- not too far from the European border, Ivano-Frankivsk, who has asked today that all of the uh, inhabitants of that city leave the city for, for the winter period, because uh, particularly the ones who live in high-rise uh, apartment buildings. Mm.
0: And how much state help is there in terms of, of food or, or blankets and so on?
3: Well, I just recently returned from uh, two Eastern oblasts in Ukraine where uh, we were working with volunteers, international volunteers, as well as local ones. And honestly, from what I saw, the uh, majority of the the uh, aid that we were dealing with are actually coming from international organizations and uh, including Ronald McDonald House uh, and the Church of Latter Day Saints. <coughs> so, from the inf- the support that we're receiving directly from the Ukrainian government, as far as humanitarian aid is concerned, unfortunately, I have not been a witness to any of it.
0: Now, Russia says that Kyiv is to blame because it won't start negotiations. Where are we on that front?
3: Well, I mean, Russia clearly wants to have negotiations because it's climbed into in a terrible mess that it doesn't know how to get out of. Uh, I am a huge proponent of uh, negotiations, but before we move to the table, we really need to create a glossary of terms upon which the all parties agree to, where there can be no error in understanding what we were talking about. And I believe that the first word that uh, should be introduced into this glossary, if you will, is Ukraine, so that we know what we're talking about.
0: In terms of that, including all territories?
3: Absolutely. So and with this Nazi regime narrative that they keep pushing it's very interesting to see it developing because the more they talk about Ukraine as a as a proxy war uh, the more they are proving that they're they have an intent to commit genocide in Ukraine so their propaganda uh, speech in this way is doing nothing very valuable for them at this point in time other than uh, digging their own grave when it finally comes to uh, tribunals and uh, and getting money back for, for their war crimes and crimes against humanity.
0: Lada, thank you very much indeed. That was Rada Los- Roslitsky, who's founder of Black Trident, a defence and security consulting group in Ukraine. Now, here's Monocle's Marcus Hippie with the day's other news headlines.
4: Thanks, Georgina. Qatar reportedly set to ban the sale of beer at World Cup stadiums in a U-turn on alcohol policy just 48 hours before the tournament begins. Alcoholic drinks will now only be available in hospitality suites at stadiums and inside designated areas around Doha. The decision throws the tournament's sponsorship by major beer maker Budweiser into question. Inflation figures in Japan have risen to their highest level in 40 years. Core consumer inflation, which excludes fresh food prices, rose by 3.6% in October compared with the previous year. While low compared with the rates of inflation seen in many other economies, the price growth well exceeds the Bank of Japan's inflation target and follows decades of economic stagnation. And a wave of Twitter employees are reportedly quitting the social media company after the new owner Elon Musk called for staffers to sign up for long hours at high intensity or leave. Twitter has meanwhile told employees that the company's office buildings will be temporarily closed, effective immediately. Those are the day's headlines. Back to you, Georgina.
0: Thank you, Marcus. Now, US President Joe Biden vowed to make Saudi Arabia a pariah after the murder of Jamal Khashoggi, a prominent Saudi critic at the Saudi consulate in Insta- Istanbul in October. 2018. Well, US intelligence said it believed Prince Mohammed bin Salman ordered the killing. But now the US State Department says MBS has immunity due to his new role as Saudi Prime Minister. Well, to look at this in more detail, Bill Law, who's a Middle East analyst and the editor of Arab Digest, joins me in the studio. Thanks very much for coming in, Bill. I think it's worth reminding ourselves of the facts of this case.
1: Mm. Yes. Well, as you said, uh, 2018 in October, Jamal uh, Hashrji was lured into the Saudi consulate. He was set upon, uh, murdered. His body was was chopped up. Uh, no one knows what happened to the remains. This was a uh, a Saudi killing group uh, known as the Tigers, and they then uh, absconded back to uh, Riyadh. Uh, subsequently, there was of course a huge. Outcry internationally. Hadidja Chinga's, uh, Jamal's uh, fiancé, has for years now carried out a very heroic campaign to seek justice. Uh, the Saudis ran a trial, it was uh, uh, denied, uh, outsiders were denied access. Uh, some people were convicted. Uh, by and large, uh, those people were sentenced to house arrest. Uh, key players, uh, among them Sad Al Qatani, who is uh, Mohammed bin Salman's right-hand man, very much involved in the plot, he escaped any any punishment. And uh, the Saudis paid a price. Mohammed bin Salman paid a price internationally. It's uh, very clear that his. International uh, image, which was one of a young reforming prince who was going to come in and undertake the, quite frankly, the necessary changes to the Saudi economic system. All of a sudden, it became clear uh, what sort of an individual he was ruthless, uh, despotic. Brutal and uh, and of course Jamal was not the only one uh, who who suffered. suffered many, many thousands are detained in Saudi jails uh, under Mohammed bin Salman. Mass executions have been carried out of of uh, protesters, uh, many times uh, peaceful protesters, Shia from the eastern province. Uh, and so we come to uh, to the situation here now. Of course, after the famous fist bump, Joe Biden went. Uh, to Riyadh uh, to try and... Uh, Jeddah actually, it was Jeddah I'm sorry, uh, to try and uh, mend some fences, really. Uh, that was before or after, rather. Macron had been and Boris Johnson, they'd gone cap in hand. Why? Because of oil. And uh, they wanted uh, the Saudis to pump more oil, to bring the price of oil down. Um, Mahmoud bin Salman... He shrugged off Macron. He shrugged off Johnson. But most famously, he shrugged off Joe Biden. And what was what was extraordinary was that in in the past, when the Americans came to the Saudis, Saudis and said, particularly in, in midterms and uh, and uh, election situations, "Come on, put some oil on the market so we can keep the price of the gas pumps down," the Saudis have gone along with it. They did it for Obama in 2012. They did it for Trump in 2018. Biden comes and says, "Will you do it?" The Saudis said, "Nope." Not only that, they cut production by 2 million barrels per day just ahead of the uh, midterm elections. In the end, it didn't help uh, the Republicans, but uh, this is a, a indication of a real shift in the way in which Saudi Arabia sees itself and it sees its relationship with uh, the Americans. And it has to do with oil. Everything comes back to oil, yeah. And, uh, you know, when... The Saudis and Russia got together in 2016 and, and Russia became a, effectively a partner, became the big plus in OPEC plus. Those two have worked very well together and they've pulled OPEC, OPEC into a well-oiled machine, excuse my pun, whereas previously it was a bit slipshod. People were ignoring quotas. They were lying about the quotas. Now it's very tight. And, and this situation is benefiting the Saudis' price of oil today is sitting about $90 a barrel. It's benefiting, clearly, uh, Putin, because he's able to sell his oil uh, at $90 a barrel. The the Gulf states, the hydrocarbon states, they're not observing the uh, the sanctions. Uh, so this uh, signals very strongly the, uh, the situation. Now Biden finds himself uh, the ultimate pragmatist, been in Washington for 50 years, I've got to do a deal. This guy is 37 years old, he's going to be around for decades. It is the Saudis who determine the price of oil. The Americans don't determine it. Mm. Despite all of the oil they're able to put into the market with fracking, it is the Saudis who determine what the price of oil at like those American gas pumps is going to be. And you know, down the road, they had, to make a, they had to make a decision. And that decision was, okay, we'll give the guy legal immunity.
0: Uh, now, one of the reasons that's been given for that is, of course, that he's been made prime minister. Uh, but is this court filing by the State Department just a normal administra- administrative step because of MBS's new position? Or is it, are we looking at a complete reset of US-Saudi relations that would have happened regardless of that?
1: You know what's interesting? The judge gave the State Department, uh, oh, sorry, the Justice Department, a deadline uh, to decide whether or not uh, Mohammed bin Salman had immunity, legal immunity. Three days before the deadline, King Salman, his father, appointed him prime minister. Right. So, uh, does this signal a shift? Yes. This is this is big. It's it, it it's big in lots of ways. I don't expect we're going to see Mohammed bin Salman turning up in Washington any time soon because of the protests. There will be huge protests. And as I said earlier, his image is severely tarnished. That's not going to go away. The way in which Jamal was, was, was murdered, the lies, the deceits, the, 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 the faux trial, of, of, and the way in which the people who committed the murder were allowed basically to get off scot-free, none of that will be forgotten. He will carry that with that with him. But... The reality is that the Saudis, at this point, in this situation, they're in the driver's seat. And, you know, as I said, Biden is a pragmatist. He looked at it and said, okay, we are where we are. Now, the Americans have said, well, this doesn't in any way make a judgment on the validity of the case. I think that's just a bit of window dressing. The reality is that the Americans have said... Okay, he's got legal immunity. I won't I don't expect to see him in Washington. I do expect we'll see him in London uh, much sooner, actually. What does this mean for human rights? Well, what it what it has meant, I, I would argue since at least uh, the Arab Spring, uh, uh, human rights have been parked, and uh, human rights always takes uh, you know, a backseat to arms sales, to uh, diplomatic realities. And, and once again, we're seeing that playing out. After all, Biden said he was going to turn Saudi Arabia into a pariah. Well, <laughs> he's, that's, not, that's not the case now. Uh, and, and the situation, and you have to really feel for uh, Atichechengez, uh, also for the families of, of uh, people like uh, uh, Lina hathlul who have been uh, uh, Lujain rather Al-Hathloul, who who is in prison, a Saudi woman activist, and is now under under effectively under house arrest. People who cannot leave the country, huge long uh, travel bans, huge long sentences. Uh, you have to feel very much for those people, for their families. There's an enormous price they're paying. And we, you know, in the West are basically saying that's, that's a price that we are prepared to accept. I think that's very harsh on those families and those, and those
0: individuals. Bill, thank you very much indeed. That was Bill Law there. You're listening to The Briefing on Monacle 24. <laughs>
5: Monocle has launched its own brand new book imprint with the help of our friends, esteemed publishers, Thames and Hudson. First to bookshelves is the handsome Monocle Book of Japan, but with a host of new titles coming your way. And don't forget our existing library of travel guides and large format books, covering everything from making better cities, creating resilient businesses, and the power of hospitality done well. It's the lineup created to help you find inspiration. Great ideas and some sunny escape routes, whatever is happening in the world. Visit monocle.com to find the perfect additions to your collection.
0: You're back with The Briefing on Monocle 24. Well, it's time now to join Andrew Muller for his weekly take on the past seven days.
2: We learned this week that American democracy may not yet have extricated itself from the... Soup. Soup. For we learned that former US president and uncle, who is the principal reason you're dreading Thanksgiving with the family, Donald Trump, intends to have a third crack at actually winning the popular vote. (laughs) We learned that while Trump's adopted home state of Florida is legendarily abundant with grouchy, orange-hued elderly retirees whose much younger wives resent them, interrupting their golf to expound interminably upon how much better things were in the olden days, only one of them plans on running for president in 2024.
1: In order to make America
2: great and glorious again, I am tonight announcing my candidacy for President of the United States. And we learned therefrom of an exciting enlargement of Trump's trademark phrase. Apparently no longer content with making America merely great again, we learned that Trump is now swinging for glorious as well. And we, for one humorous weekly news rap, believe that we can see what he is doing here. Ooh, I can't wait interesting. to see Let's see where this goes. Trump, nothing if not one of history's most energetic grifters, has doubtless apprehended that his previous two runs for the White House have probably shifted as much gear emblazoned with the Make America Great Again acronym MAGA as they're going to. Though certain of his voters from the more remote reaches of America's rural states probably can wear two baseball caps at once, they are an unprofitable minority vowing to make america great and glorious again shoehorns another g into the trademark and thereby opens up the lucrative prospect of whole new ranges of mag g double g merch <coughs> Indeed, Trump, or Heck help us his heirs, could do this forever, by sequentially pledging to make America great, glorious and grand again, or magga, then to make America great, glorious, grand and groovy again, or mag ga then Have I just been gonged off my own monologue?
3: Sorry Muller, we don't have all day.
2: Fair enough. We subsequently learned from the response of Trump's flunkies to the amusingly muted coverage of his big announcement, another lesson in the paradox that the most bellicose defenders of the First Amendment of the Constitution of the United States do not have the least idea what it means or how it
3: works. They don't want the American people to hear directly from, you know, the biggest leader of the greatest political movement in our history. So I do suspect they'll try to, you know, censor and cut away. We do not have the First Amendment. It's under attack.
2: We have learned, or at least apprehended, and it really isn't all that complicated like it's the kind of thing you could only get worked up about if you were either a total idiot or merely feigning outrage for political advantage, that any guarantee of free speech guarantees you only that. It does not guarantee that anybody is going to listen to you, nor does it oblige anybody to furnish you with a platform, especially when you burble on and on and on and on for the thick end of an hour, to the extent that security blocks the exits to stop people from leaving. There is video of this which we cannot bring you in this audio medium, but the accompanying audio does convey something of the melancholy and bathos of the occasion.
0: Help is on the way. Joe Biden has abolished America's borders. We are going to restore and secure America's borders just like we had before. Best ever. We built the wall and now we will
5: add to it now
2: built the we built Still, we learned that we, by which we mean specifically we, the compilers of this monologue, can look forward to another stretch of the big goose basically writing it for us every week. That said, we learned that certain of Trump's acolytes seemed weirdly determined to assist him in that inadvertent labour, especially those supporting Carrie Lake, defeated Trumpist candidate in Arizona's gubernatorial race. And you said making that clip of people saying gubernatorial was a waste of time. Let's go. Gubernatorial.
4: Gubernatorial. 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 Yeah. Gubernatorial. An important part of my vocabulary. I'll use that, yeah. As soon as possible. Gubernatorial.
2: We learned that a cohort of fans of Governor Non elect Lake were not taking it well and had resolved to express their discontent by gathering in meager numbers outside an election centre in Phoenix and staging a morbidly unimpressive reenactment of the Battle of Jericho for some reason. I want all of you to say a prayer right now. We, the people, are requesting military, step in and redo our election. It was fake and false, it's full, our government is full of corrupt people. Before celebrating their non-victory by ineptly blowing a traditional bugle fashioned from a ram's horn at passing traffic, Traditional bugle fashioned from a ram's horn, right? And then doubtless saying to each other, Shofar, so good. They don't ever oh, catch God. on, yeah. not so sure if
0: I got it. Just rewrite it.
2: But we did learn, once all the midterm votes had been shaken out, that the Republican Party had won back control of the US House of Representatives. If by the sort of slender margin which historically empowers nihilist dingbats who don't really care about getting anything done but just want attention, so we learned that we're likely to be hearing a great deal more from the re-elected representative of Georgia's 14th district.
0: There's possible satanic worship and Maybe that all these scary things that people talk about on what's considered conspiracy sites and conspiracy theories really may be true.
2: It'll be even more hilarious when she's vice president. For Monocle 24, I'm Andrew Muller.
0: Thank you, Andrew. You're listening to The Briefing on Monocle 24. Finally, in the programme, we cross over to Helsinki. Almost 5,000 startup founders are gathering in the Finnish capital for Slush, one of the biggest startup events in the world. Monocle's Helsinki correspondent Petri Bertsov joins me on the line from there. Petri, thanks for coming on the show. What's interesting for Monocle listeners at a giant tech conference? Yes,
5: that is a very good question. Uh, You would think that, you know, tech conference, it's all going to be, you know, IT, cloud computing and stuff like that, but there's actually a lot of uh, startups here uh, in fields such as urbanism, retail, transportation, quality of life and fashion, you know, that are all issues that are dear to Monocle readers. Um, so, you know, quite a lot of interesting stuff, I think, for for Monocle readers too.
0: Mm. Now, you've been to this, this particular event before. What's different this year?
5: Yeah, so I think uh, what is really clearly different this year is that, you know, it's, it is... An event with a lot of investors in here um, and you know one cannot help but sense that the market is down I think uh, the you know investments in startups in Europe have gone down by about a third this year because of the because the situation in the world so you know um, you have the VCs the venture capitalists that are investing they, they're not only asking about great ideas but they're also asking about profitability of the of the companies. so so a little bit more on their toes uh, I would say
0: and in terms of general trends, what are you seeing?
5: Yeah, so the, I, I think this is a continuation of what Slush has been uh, about uh, for some years now. Actually, there's, there's the term that they use here is deep tech. It, it essentially means, you know, technology not just for the sake of technology, right? But just you know, technology that helps to uh, shape the world and improve the quality of life. So I've seen a, you know, I've seen a lot of. Uh, Um, autonomous driving uh, electronic vehicle startups a lot of circular economy i spoke with an urban farming company a lot of sort of meditech companies that uh, help you help you uh, lead healthier lives so uh, you know technology that really helps
0: our lives and how important is the event for helsinki
5: uh, super important. I think this is one of the key soft power assets. I mean, to attract all this, so I think if they're predicting about 12,000 visitors uh, this year in uh, November, the, the darkest time of the year in Helsinki. Uh, the visitors, by the way, representing a whopping one trillion dollars of, of capital uh, that they're that they're investing. Um, so you know. Be, they're, this is just unprecedented to have this this level of uh, investment and investors in, in Helsinki. It's a, it's a really great thing for, you know, let's face it, it's a, it's a remote city in a, in a remote uh, country.
0: And I understand it's called slush to reflect the weather at that time of this time of year.
5: <laughs> that is correct. We don't have slush yet. It's about minus one degree, so it's not exactly uh, warm, but uh, I think they just missed out on the snow. It's it's pre- it's forecast to snow actually tomorrow, but slush ends uh, tonight with a lot of great parties so I think a lot of the visitors will be waking up a little bit slightly hungover but uh, to some slush and snow tomorrow.
0: Excellent and finally what's caught your particular attention so far?
5: Yeah so, so I've um, sort of tried to scout innovative new companies that I haven't seen before. I spoke with an Austrian company that has developed this weird gadget that uses lights to uh, essentially help people live longer lives. So I, for some reason, I got really interested in that. I, I want to live, live longer. Then I, I spoke with a Swedish company that is building roads that the, the roads themselves help charge electric cars on the road. So that is potentially revolutionary for electric uh, vehicles.
0: It all sounds fabulously interesting. Uh, Petri, thank you very much indeed for joining us. Thank you. And that's all for this edition of The Briefing, which was produced by Marcus Hippie. Our researcher was Emily Sands and our our studio manager was Steph Chungu. And The Briefing will be back on Monday at the same time. I'm Georgina Godwin. Goodbye and thanks for listening.